Alrighty, everybody. Good morning, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast on a Saturday morning here. Wiz, good morning. I hope you are doing well. Yeah, doing 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 well, and uh, uh, just looking at the at the fallout and things that are happening here with the uh, free agency and the cap, and uh, there's another surprise casualty: uh, Kansas City uh, having to let uh, their their tackle Eric Fisher go. So uh, that and uh, Cam Newton uh, re-signed with the Patriots. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, all of that stuff. Yeah, you know, it's pretty incredible. Uh, first off, we're, we're, we're one year anniversary away from, uh, you know, when, when the country shut down, which is kind of hard to believe in, in itself. Um, but we're here, um, and, and the country is moving forward. We talked about that the last time, and, and, and it's good. I think there's a lot more promise and and like the unknown that we had the last time around. And, and even, even then, I think back, like, did we really think we were going to be in this situation, you know, six, 12, you know, six, nine, 12 months later? No, we, we didn't. But uh, we got through the NFL season. I think, I, think, I think we are feeling the effects, actually, of COVID uh, when you talk about things like what the Chiefs just did. And we're, I, I was listening to... I think it was Diana Rossini from ESPN, and, and she had a piece, and she's actually pretty plugged in on, on the football side of things with, with a couple of GMs, and, and, and the discussion was basically that there's going to be significant surprises next week in terms of shocks about players that end up getting dropped and cut and all this kind of stuff, and I think there's so much economic stuff going on when it comes to the cap because it's going to be about 20% less than normal, and then it's going to pop back up again next year, so, so players are going to have to make some decisions on that as well in terms of kind of what they want to do. So we're starting to see that. And, and she had kind of suggested, uh, I guess, in talking to one of the GMs that your head's going to explode when what you see next week. And then that leads into the free agency period. So, so we have a lot of stuff on the horizon. Um, you know, you mentioned Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton looked just absolutely god-awful last year. I mean, throwing balls in the dirt. Uh, just a lost, lost player uh, as the season wore on you know we joked around about him throwing less touchdowns than than his wide receiver Jacoby Myers uh, you know just things like that it, it was it was an ugly offense to watch last year uh, it's a big number to I'm, I'm I'm shocked I don't think you know at the end of the day I think this this does two things and you can tell me if you disagree or not I think it all but uh, guarantees that the New England Patriots will actually draft a quarterback uh, with their first draft pick and Jimmy Garoppolo looks like he's going to remain the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers would you disagree with that here or am I being a little hasty no I mean I think I think I, I think the Patriots are going to draft uh, a quarterback uh, I don't see how they're not going to unless you know uh, Garoppolo somehow um, you know does end up with the Patriots but you know like you mentioned uh, it's a uh, it's looking more and more likely that I guess that he's going to stay with the 49ers and uh just getting back to the cap space real quick is that, you know, you're seeing like a lot of players just resign these one year deals. And it, it's kind of like they're just doing that. And then, you know, they realize what's what it's going to look like next year. And then, you know, that the, they'll be okay with that. But there's a real opportunity for the Jags, Jets and Patriots who have a lot more room than the other teams to, take some of these impending free agents and sign them maybe maybe in a year
year from now, they're not going to be able to do that because there'll be teams that have as much money or more money uh, that could be better landing spots. So we'll see if the Jets, Patriots, and Jags, who are like in a category by themselves uh, with cap space, take take advantage of this. But uh, but yeah, the Patriots, I I do believe, are going to take a, a quarterback. We'll see if they do it on day one, and we'll see. Uh, if they do it with their uh, overall number 15th pick. And, you know, in, in a situation like you, you mentioned about Kansas City, you know, so here's Patrick Mahomes. And, and, and this, this has got to be watched closely. Look, they spent a fortune on Patrick Mahomes. He's a huge part of their, um, you know, the percentage of their salary cap. Um, you know, losing your tackles, and uh, I mean, they do have that uh, their lineman, um, the kid from Canada, coming back. The guy that basically opted out last year and 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 basically stuck to his other profession, which was uh, in the medical field and and helping folks uh, combat uh, COVID up in Canada. So he'll be back on their line. But you know, Super Bowl, you know, a team that was in the Super Bowl this year, champion the year before. Um, you know, it's tough when your your offensive line needs to be revamped. We've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, w- when your offensive line is impaired, it affects every facet of your game, obviously from the offensive side of it and and, and, and your fact that your defense, if you're not effective in being able to control the clock, uh, that your defense is on the field too much. So that should be watched very closely here for the Chiefs because it, it does have it does have an effect on the entire offense. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And, you know, perhaps a player like Fisher takes a lower deal to join the Chiefs again, uh, but he seemed to say a pretty distinct farewell in in in, in, a, in a recent tweet. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting situation to watch. But I think we're going to be watching situations like this across the NFL uh, because of the salary cap situation this season. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, there will be players that do that, but like if you're Eric Fisher and you know you're you're getting offered a discounted deal to sign back with Kansas City, and here come the Colts or a team like that who who really want a tackle, and they're offering you a lot more money for more years. Uh, I, I don't know. I think you're going to make a business decision, decision to probably uh, move elsewhere. So I think we're going to see a lot of that uh, as it plays out, uh, you know, over the next few weeks. And that, that's, that's going to be interesting in itself. And uh, I agree with you what that does. I, I, you know, just looking at the landscape of the NFL, I think there are a lot of teams who are looking at Kansas City and what's going on with their offensive line and thinking like, it's kind of like a lot of teams have closed the gap and are uh, feel that they could get on the same level as Kansas City has been on the last couple in, in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think you know you mentioned the Colts, and I think the Colts you look they're taking a bit of a leap of faith here, um, assuming that Carson Wentz gets back to a, a higher level of quarterback play. Uh, but you mentioned a guy like Fisher, and we talked about Trent Williams and Anthony Costanza retiring. The, the Colts with their cap space and the fact that there were two elite. Uh, left tackles now available out there. You know, to me, it's like crazy that one of them would not be uh, an Indianapolis Colt next year. And this this is a team that uh, I think is on on the fringe of being, you know, the, you know, definitely one of the candidates to be uh, a Super Bowl contender in, in the AFC. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then if you combine that with the fact that the, you know Frank Reich wants to run the ball, how much they 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 you know they. They want these offensive linemen, how, how much they value these offensive linemen, how important to their team is. And the fact that they're, you know, they're pretty set elsewhere. I mean, I know T.Y. Hilton is, is leaving and they have a couple of young receivers, but I, I think, you know, the combination of their need 
plus what's out there, plus how much the coach and, and, and they value that position, I'm agreeing with you. I, I'd be surprised uh, at this point if one of those two elite available tackles um, doesn't end up as an Indianapolis Colt. Yeah, by, by the way, I, I, one thing that we, uh, that I, we didn't mention either that I thought it was an interesting one. Uh, Trent Brown uh, returned to the New England Patriots. Uh, I, you know, I, that was a kind of a little bit of a surprise. There was a trade in which Trent Brown, the left tackle, who formerly was a New England Patriot, moved to the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, he was traded back to the Patriots. So the, the, the Patriots are the Patriots are going to be a very interesting team to watch this year. You've mentioned all those defensive players coming back. They need a lot of help, I think, particularly at the receiver and tight end position. You mentioned that Kyle Rudolph suggested that he might want to play for them. Uh, you know, they're going to be an interesting team to watch. I, I think Damian Harris and Sony Michelle can make a very good running back combination. It remains to be seen what's going to happen at quarterback, whether Cam Newton is, is actually the quarterback or it's one of those rookies that's in there on opening day. So uh, it's, you know, we, we focused our attention in the AFC. You know, we kind of the Patriots took a little bit of a backseat this year. The season that the Buffalo Bills had, Obviously, the Jets are going to be a focus in this particular draft as well. And the Miami Dolphins, you know, both of those teams kind of in the same situation. But, you know, I'm interested to see what the what the opening day roster of the New England Patriots looks like. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's one the one part of Bill Pelichek's game that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, he is a brilliant game strategist, in-game strategy planning for game strategy, brilliant. But the other thing that he has been brilliant at, it's not been all him, but he's a big part of it, is he is a genius, cat, uh, you know, with the, with the salary cap manipulator uh, with, his, with, with what he's done. I mean, they sign these players when the players, like, kind of at the end of the year, they have a good knack of, you know, when they're not going to re-sign them, when they're going to let them go. They, they get people to sign with them, you know, the Patriots way, and, and, and they don't sign. Maybe uh, they have to pay the player as much as they would if they went to another team. Teams like want to go to New England, to, to want to go to New England, and that's been in the past. I don't know if that's going to continue, but he is a, a salary cap genius, Bill Belichick. And, you know, now they have that money, and I'm thinking he's looking at the advantage they have this year. And, uh, you know, I, I believe uh, with their ineptitude of wide receiver, they're going to have to go out there and spend some money and, uh, and, and get one of those guys, which is what they've done in the past, uh, you know, like with Wes Welker and and, and, and Amendola and some of these players, um, it just seems Randy like Moss. better at <laughs> Randy Moss, right? <laughs> Randy Moss. It, it just, it, that, that trade, I mean, but nobody, you know, that was when people, you know, were down on Randy Moss. But the thing is, um, when it comes to the Patriots, they're much better at the free agent salary cap aspect of football than they are at the draft, to be honest, because some of their draft picks, especially at the skilled players, have not. And, you know, point in case, yeah, maybe there's a reason, you know, Kyle Rudolph uh, is needed in New England, but they just drafted two tight ends this past year uh, with pretty early picks. So, I don't know. I'm 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 a little dubious about their drafting abilities, but when it comes to the salary cap manipulation, um, they are very very well versed. So 
with that being said, I wouldn't be surprised if they used the free agent uh, uh, money, the advantage they have uh, wisely, and make uh, and try and make some good pickups. Uh, yeah, in the free agency process. So I'll make two points on that. So you know, in the past, obviously, this is a team that that, that drafted you know Gronk and and uh, Aaron Hernandez. You know, before you know his untimely turn. Uh, I actually think you know you mentioned skill position. I think the Patriots have actually done a pretty decent job at running back and tight end. But where the problem has been is they just can't get receivers in the draft. They're always wrong about that. So so I, I think it's more, in my opinion, relegated to to the specifically to, to how they've done at the receiver position. The second thing, and it's happening in Tampa Bay right now, but not everybody's married to, to, to Giselle. And Tom Brady has enabled, you know, he's doing it with Tampa Bay now in terms of restructuring his contract. And I think in the past, when you look at what he's done with his contract, as opposed to, you know, we've talked about this a lot. The, the quarterback's taking up 15, 16% of the salary cap. Look at what Russell Wilson, that's that's really what he compromises in, in Seattle, and they haven't been able to get back to the Super Bowl uh, since that's happened. But Tom Brady's taken a discount over the years, and that's enabled teams like New England. It's happening now, like I said, in Tampa Bay to actually maneuver. And, and there's just too much being dedicated to the quarterback position in the NFL. Like I think that needs to change. I think the Jared Goff... Carson Wentz contracts, as we've said before, I think it gives a rethink about what you do at quarterback going forward. Now, again, it's not going to affect every guy because obviously you're going to pay someone like a Patrick Mahomes, but I think there's going to be a little bit of a rethink going forward that everybody doesn't fall into that bracket. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't disagree with any of that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree with that, um, and it's interesting because I think. It's 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 unbelievable to say, but I I think the Patriots are considered to be an afterthought in the AFC East. I mean, I think uh, people look at that division as you know the Bills are an elite team, one of the top two or three teams in the AFC for sure, and Miami like on the cusp of being that, and the Jets <clears throat> having like a real chance to rebuild with all these draft picks and, 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 and their number two pick this year. And then kind of like the Patriots and afterthought. And uh, we'll see if, uh, if they could turn that around. Yeah, look, I think the Patriots can rebuild that receiving core very cheaply. Like I think it remains to be seen with a guy like, you know, What's going to happen to Marvin Jones, a T.Y. Hilton, and Emmanuel Sanders? Look, they're, they're going to be cheap. They are going to be cheap players. And, and, and look, they and then Ed, Julian Edelman obviously coming back from an injury. You know, you look at the quarterback situation. Is a guy like Kenny Galladay going to take a chance when he doesn't know who the quarterback in New, in, in New England is going to be? Like, you know, if you're watching film of Cam Newton and then you're Kenny Galladay, do you want to go sign with the New England Patriots? Probably not. But, but at the same time, this is the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick's the head coach. Uh, there's always a plan in place here. Uh, those defensive players are coming back, so those guys are going to have a lot to say this year. And, yeah, I think they are an afterthought, but you know, it remains to be seen what happens. Um, so, so, so Wiz and I kind of had a quick dis- – we haven't talked about exactly what we're going to speak about, but I, I've had a lot of fun in actually preparing for this particular podcast as, as I segue into what we're going to start talking about. And, you know, look, the season is finished – and, you know, we really took this time to, you know, and Wiz and I are both in a number of leagues. I'm in six leagues. I don't know how many you're in, probably at least the same amount of leagues. Um, and, and take a look back of things that we did well uh, and, and things that we could have done better, things that didn't go well at all. You know, you and I were partners. 
in one league together. We were part of a quartet in another league, which will never happen again. That's just too many, too many uh, chefs in the kitchen, especially when a couple of the chefs don't know how to cook. Uh, so that's definitely a big problem. But, you know, it was a fun exercise actually looking back and looking back at kind of how, how your team started out, you know, based on your evaluation. And, and, and when we say evaluation, you know, Wiz and I start preparing for, the, for each fantasy football season well ahead of the season, not a week before, not two weeks before, not three weeks before. It starts now. If you want to be successful, don't be a Jimmy O. Don't start before the season starts and just think you can walk into a draft and make a difference. It doesn't work. So we spend an inordinate amount of time of prepping for our drafts. And this was a fun exercise in looking at some of the evaluations and things that went right and things that went wrong. And when it comes to fantasy football, I think both of us know a lot of times that is predicated upon luck. And, you know, sometimes everything goes wrong. And I think we were partners in a league where literally I look back at the roster where we started the season where we ended it. Everything that we could have evaluated and done just went wrong. And most of it had to do with injury. I think in the case of one player, it was probably uh, misevaluation. But it was a really fun exercise to go back in time and look at kind of how, how things evolved, how your team started out and how they finished and what you did well in between. And, and I, I really enjoyed the exercise. Yeah, I think when you, you know, b- before you turn the page and, and look to the new year, uh, upcoming season, and uh, as far as the NFL concerned, next week is the start of the 2021 season. Uh, you know, that, that that's what the NFL considers their start of their season, the free agency process. But before you do that, you want to look back, and there are two things. One is player evaluation. Uh, what things were you right about? And, and, and that's fine, but I think the more importantly, you need to look at where you missed on some players, what caused that to happen, and try and change that thinking and, and not to let that happen again. So play evaluation is one thing, but the other thing is what took place during the season or at the draft. Were you not patient enough? Was there a, you know, a player at the draft that you wanted to get so badly it kind of, you know, maybe didn't allow you to do things, uh, you know, otherwise? Did you make a, a trade because you were frustrated? Did you stay on a player too long and didn't drop him and missed out on some free agents? So you want to look back at it carefully, turn the page, and get ready for the new season, but... Um, you know, it's always good to look back, especially maybe at some of your misses and, um, and then try and correct that and, and try and evaluate why you missed, what took place. And then um, so that won't happen the next year. Yeah, no, no, no question. I think, you know, it's funny. I, I think I mentioned this, you know, when we were preparing for last year's um, season. And, and, I, and, and, and this is something that really sticks with me. You, know, you, you mentioned that. Uh, you know, trying to remember what went right, what went wrong. Um, I think when I was doing mock drafts last year, uh, the, the one thing that was ex- extremely clear to me uh, was that the rookie class this year, both at running back and wide receiver, when I looked at mock drafts, uh, particularly auction drafts, I just felt that those players coming into this draft were being rated way too low. Um not that I did a lot about it, not, uh, not that I did so much about it in, in my drafts as well, uh, but I, I just, I, I, 
look, this was a very special wide receiver class um, in terms of the amount of receivers that were taken. I think 37 uh, wide receivers were drafted. But it was also ended up being, you know, especially as the season moved along, we, we looked at it as being an a incredible season for some of these rookie running backs. And I just felt the, the, the valuing of those players was wrong. When I was going into the season, I felt it was wrong. I did do something about it on a few on a few levels, and actually in, in one particular league, I, I definitely won a championship because of it. But in a few leagues, I was not aggressive about pursuing like a J.K. Dobbins or something like that. And and I look back and I and I say to myself this year, as as college football def- definitely becomes a more offensive and a more NFL oriented game, then I'm not going to make those same mistakes if if there's a rookie that I really like, and I'm going to make sure I actually end up with him instead of waiting to pick him up on a on a waiver wire, which which definitely happened in a lot of leagues last year. I think that's the one thing that sticks out to me as something that happened going into this year's NFL season. And I'm really talking about non-keeper leagues. In, in, in keeper leagues, it's a very different situation. I'm really talking about non-keeper leagues. I felt that these rookies were completely undervalued at running back and wide receiver looking back. Yeah, with the exception of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's that almost those other guys were under the radar because of the high train. Like I, I feel like I was able to get Jonathan Taylor in just about every league. And part of that maybe could be explained because the hype train on Clyde Edwards Lair uh, was just so wild. And, and otherwise I think, you know, people would have been, Putting him in the same class, he ended up being a better player, which didn't surprise me. I I I think I even predicted that on the podcast that he'd be a better uh, rookie running back than um, Clyde Edwards-Helaire, and the numbers for Jonathan Taylor ended up uh, proving that out. But I I, I agree with that as far as um, you know it, it, those those rookie running backs um, being uh, undervalued, and I guess maybe part of it was because of you know the the world we were living in and they weren't going to get in there and and you know it it would be difficult for the rookies I mean we talked about that how it would take them a little longer so that that could that could that could definitely uh, have been the case I mean as far as why they were valued a lot lower than you know than they, they I think they should have gone as well yeah so yeah, it's interesting I I only made the mistake you know I did make the mistake in one league where with a sixth pick in the draft, in a snake draft, uh, with so many players available, and I'll give I'll give my partner Jimmy O credit for this one, um, in that you know we're faced with a decision uh, at six who's available, and it's, it's Derrick Henry and Clyde Edwards-Helaire that were the two players that we're looking at, and I I was dead wrong, and I, I I he wanted to pick Henry, um, it was the one only league that I had Clyde Edwards-Helaire in, um, but I just felt like I wanted you know again when you're in six leagues. Um, you know, just like you're uh, as a stock portfolio, you, you want to have some diversification. I didn't have any piece of, of Clyde Edwards Alaire in any league. Um, it was also the last draft that I had done. I, I probably got sucked into it saying that I didn't want to miss it. There was probably some FOMO related things to me there where I, I felt like if this this was happening and this guy exploded on the scene and I didn't get a piece of it that was good that I was going to be regretting it the entire season. And, and that's a mistake that I definitely made in one league. Yeah, I mean, when you the thing is about when you when you're in a bunch of snake drafts, <clears throat> if you're in six or seven leagues and 
three or four of them are snake drafts, and then you're doing mock drafts, and you're looking at analysis. I mean, it just appears to me that the same handful of players are going to be available when you're picking. If you have, you know, the second or third pick, yeah, I mean, you kind of know who you're certainly taking your first pick, but like coming back, it's the same group of, of three or four players that are available and, and what, you know, what route you want to go with that, depending on who you took with your, with your first pick. So I, I don't think there's that much room for maneuvering in, in these snake drafts, but in, in auction drafts, it's a different uh, situation. And I want to talk about something that I went wrong and looking back, you know, I, I realized where I went wrong was, you know, I really was down on Josh Allen and looking back at it, I just did not figure out into the equation how much the acquisition of Diggs was going to mean to Josh Allen. And yeah, I mean, that offense was explosive the first few weeks when John Brown was there, they were throwing them all, all over the place. But even when John Brown got hurt and missed a substantial amount of time last year, that offense didn't miss a beat. And, boy, you could just count on digs for 10 for 100, a lot of times a touchdown or two. Uh, And looking back at Josh Allen, I mean, I just think I missed that one, not taking into the account how much – the acquisition, that trade that the Bills made with the Vikings to get Diggs was going to mean because he, you know, Diggs is a terrific route runner. He's got that short area of quickness, and um, that led to a lot of catches, a lot of first downs, a lot of scoring, and uh, I missed that one. So going into the next season, you could rest assured that I'm going to take into account these free agents and, 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 and who's going to what team and what that could mean for the receiver and the quarterback and uh, yeah, I was not high on Josh Allen. His accuracy was was poor, but I missed that one. Not taking into consideration uh, what Diggs was going to mean to him. Yeah, so I'll say a couple of things about that. For, I, I didn't own uh, Josh Allen in any league as well. I think I think a couple of things happened here in addition to, to you mentioning Diggs and and the rapport the two players built together it was very clear. I saw some post game interviews with them, and these guys built. You know, they were they had a relationship both on and off the field, and I think it really made a significant difference here. I think two other things happened in Buffalo, though. So, so one, Josh Allen did make it a point to make himself a better player. He went to Josh Palmer's, um, uh, sorry, Jordan Palmer's um, quarterback camp. Uh, Tony Romo is also an instructor there, and he actually knew that there was a there was a problem I mean, you look at the highlights of his 2019 and he, and, and every once in a while he did it in, in in 2020 but you look at some of the throws he tried to make in in 2019 and his percentage uh, of accuracy which by the way in college was a huge concern especially coming out of a small program like Wyoming but Josh Allen made it a point to make himself a better player and and you know you, you can see the difference that it made this year that that's number 1 the other thing that happened and and you talk about you know Diggs being a consistent factor guess who else was a consistent factor on this team literally every week and that was Cole Beasley before he got hurt at the end of the year and i think a couple of things happened basically Cole Beasley 
and Josh Allen ended up becoming, you know, Josh Allen with his running ability and Cole Beasley with the short patterns that was running. But because there was an inept running game for the Buffalo Bills in that, you know, Jack Moss got hurt late, you know, kind of two-thirds through the season. So he was a non-factor. Singletary never really got off uh, on the foot that people thought he would. But they did not have a running game. And essentially, there were games that Josh Allen was throwing about 50 times a game. So, it, 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 you know, and, and, and Cole Beasley was also a big beneficiary of that. So the consistency that, that Allen created, yes, the rapport with Diggs, but also with a guy like, you know, with a guy like um, what, Beasley. And he also made guys like Gabriel Davis, Davis uh, the, the, the tight end, Dawson Knox towards the end of the year. Uh, even that kid McKenzie had a couple of big games. You know, Josh Allen made everybody better around them. But the fact is, no running game in Buffalo was a big factor here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it had to throw the ball a lot more, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be great results. But the numbers were terrific. I mean, everything improved, and uh, I think the Beasley point is is well taken. You know, is well taken, uh, and uh, and the digs and the Beasley. Uh, being able to throw to those guys and those guys being so so reliable. Um, with their route running, the short area quickness, um, just, just I just didn't take that into consideration. I just have to be much more aware of these free agent signings and what that can mean to the player and the quarterback. Uh, you know that 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 wide receiver is going to. Um, another one that I want to talk about is you know when you talk about players, I, I mention this all the time. It's 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 about value and. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson isn't a good fantasy quarterback, but where he was valued before the 2019 season made him, in my view, a player that I had equity in and I really wanted. But to be ranked and taken as the number one overall quarterback going into the season last year, I mean, you're you're taking him – like it's already baked into the cake. Like he's gonna have an unbelievable year throwing and rushing. And while I thought he was undervalued going into 2019, I thought he was way overvalued going into last season. Uh, I, I thought it was ridiculous that a lot of people were taking him and and had him as the number one overall fantasy quarterback and I ended up because of that having zero equity in Lamar Jackson and again it's not because of the player when you're looking at the player at the end of the year the stats are good but is that a first round pick the answer is absolutely not so while I was way off on Josh Allen I was right on the money with Lamar Jackson I know that you also thought it was ridiculous that anyone would take Lamar Jackson over Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I had no exposure to Lamar Jackson other than actually the one player I did have exposure to him was, was Marquise Brown. I actually came into this season thinking that Marquise Brown would actually um, – play a lot better. Um, it actually took him complaining. I, I actually, I think I ended up drafting Marquise Brown in three or four leagues. Um, it, it, it took him complaining about his usage in the offense because he had a much better second half of the season uh, as they started to use him a lot more. But that was a player I kind of hitched my wagon to in, in a bunch of leagues. And, and in the first half of the season, it, it did not you know work out in any way, shape, or form. But but I did not have any equity in, in, in directly to Lamar Jackson. I didn't own the player. Two, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. 
you know, I'll, I'll look at it. I looked at my rosters and guys that I had, you know, that I won, I happened to win three championships last year, that the teams that I won championships in, um, you know, they, there was definitely consistent factors in them. Uh, and I know, you know, you and I drafted uh, Waller in one league, but guys that showed up on my rosters the most, if I look at the leagues I was in, Antonio Gibson was in four out of my six teams that I owned. He was on four of them. Uh, so that was a player I, I, I invested in. Uh, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor, leagues that I'm not in with you in. You know, I had Jonathan Taylor in, in a couple of leagues, and in both of the leagues, I, I ended up winning a championship. Um, two other guys that ended up being a big part of, 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 of basically because of pickups. People quit on these guys early in the season for different factors, but Justin Jefferson and Brandon Ayuk, uh, I think were drafted in most of the leagues that was in, but they actually ended up getting dropped in some of them because of the slow starts. And I ended up picking both of those players up. And and those are guys that kind of showed up. You know, I made some mistakes at quarterback too, though. Like I, I look back and if you remember how I felt about Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers, uh, Rodgers ended up on one of my teams and one of my teams that won only because I drafted him for $2 in an auction league because I didn't want him to be a $1 player. I thought it was preposterous. Um, and, you know, I didn't see 48 touchdowns and six interceptions. That, that's not, that's not my, that wasn't my vision. I just thought from a value perspective. And Deshaun Watson was a guy I was supremely down on coming into the season. Now, a, a part of that was really the system and, and the fact that I had significant concerns around the wide receiver core uh, in, in Houston, um, you know, so two things ended up happening. Uh, you know, thank, thankfully, uh, <laughs> his coach and, and GM ended up getting fired because he made so many bad decisions. And the other thing that happened is, is actually his receiving core, guys like Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller, until the suspension, were healthy players. So Deshaun Watson ended up becoming a much more valuable fantasy player uh, than I envisioned, but it was helped along by the firing of that coach. Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, that's the... That's the other thing uh, that I, I wanted to get into was, you know, the player evaluation is one thing, but now the other thing is in-season um, coaching uh, from a fantasy perspective. And uh, one thing I, w- I didn't do right and one thing that I did do right. So the thing that I, the one thing that I didn't do right was Justin Jefferson had become available, available in several of the leagues I was in. And I didn't put enough of my move money in on the player when he was a free agent. I was aggressive. I was probably about a six in terms of the aggression scale from one to ten. I probably should have been about an eight or a nine. And the reason I say that is not because after the fact, I felt, and I mentioned this and we have podcasts to prove this, that I felt that Justin Jefferson was in the class with Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb as the three best ready immediate for NFL action players coming out of college. Their route running, their ability, um, I thought were just above the others. I was surprised about the other picks uh, that were taken ahead of them and wide receiver. mentioned that too on the podcast. Um, So I felt a mistake that I made was I was not aggressive enough with the move money when Justin Jefferson was available because he just seemed like the Vikings were stagnant and they were just going to go to a different offense. Uh, and, and the other thing that they had to do that was because their defense was horrible. So a mistake I made was not being aggressiveness 
as aggressive as I should have been on a player that I had a strong opinion on that was about to come into his own. And then one that I, I beat the market on Antonio Brown like weeks before, like I was paying attention to that when he'd become available and I got him and he was valuable for me and he, he did some things in some of those games and Godwin and, and Evans never seemed fully healthy. So when he came back, he played well and Brady was throwing it to him often. So, you know, this things that we talk about is, you know, what we did well, what we didn't do well. So a lack of aggression on Jefferson and beating people to the punch on Antonio Brown were things that I didn't do well and did do well in terms of free agency. Yeah, and I tell you, free agency is such a key component uh, to what happens. And, and, and look, everybody gets impatient with players that start off poorly and, and you know, situations aren't going well and, and, and you give up on those players. You know, you know look, sometimes you, you have to give up on them. You know, you're, you're sitting there, it's week six, it's week seven, player hasn't done nothing, there might be a better guy out there and you just can't afford to wait anymore. I understand that. And then other times, you know, it, it, it just comes down to a situation where, where you're just a little bit too hasty in doing something. But when you look at last year and how kind of the season finished, you know, injuries are part of every single NFL season. And as the season wore on, you know, we talked about the rookies taking a more, especially at the running back position, taking a more preeminent effect on their on their offenses. We, we saw what Dobbins were doing. You know, Wiz and I talked about this probably in week five or six. We saw that it was starting to change. We saw it with Swift. We saw it with Dobbins. Acres as well, that sort of situation. You know, I think I think you know I was looking at our roster, the, the team that we were partners in was, and and you know, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. You know, here we are. We draft. We we draft. We 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 both had high feelings for for Gardner Minshew. That ended up being a disaster. Dak Prescott, we were high on him. Obviously, he gets hurt. Joe Mixon gets hurt. Mostert can't stay on the field. Godwin consistently off the field. I mean, and the only thing we did well in that league was was Waller, but we had so many injuries. that Sometimes that is just nothing you can do about it. But then there are other things that you can do about it. Now, I know you drafted James Robinson in a league that I compete against you in, in a league that I'm in where the first week of pickups, you actually have an ability to add one player. I added James Robinson for a dollar on the waiver wire. He ended up being my consistent, most consistent running back for the, throughout the entire season. And that's, you know, also James Robinson was in a situation where no one was competing with him for touches. Literally, he was the only running back at times that was being used by the Jacksonville Jaguars in games. So it remains to be seen if that takes place this year. But yeah, there's always injuries and, and pickups to be made, late season pickups. You know, we mentioned the Houston, uh, Houston Texans, right? So... Uh, Will Fuller goes down. They had a couple of more injuries, and and a guy like Kiki Kuti late in the season ends up being a key pickup. He was on a number of playoff teams because he was putting up big numbers because Watson's offense was continually putting up numbers in the passing game. Another player because of injury. We mentioned Mostert being out and and no running back staying healthy, with the exception of Jeff Wilson Jr., who I think was on three of my teams that made it to the finals, uh, and 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 in two of them I started him, and in one league directly. If I don't have Jeff Wilson Jr., I don't win a championship. So, so these pickups during the season, even very late in the season, you got to consistently and and constantly pay attention to what's going on on waiver wires and not be afraid. You know, you mentioned about about pulling the trigger and being aggressive when you need to be. So, sometimes you just have to spend a lot of money because that player could make a material difference in your season. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, it's, you know, it, 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 I think, I find one of the most difficult things to 
do in fantasy football is remain patient with a player that my eyes tell me he is going to be a terrific player, but I see the coach not using him week after week after week after week. And that, to me, is, you know, difficult. And at some point, you know, you have to make a decision, right? Are you missing out on free agents who are just playing more and are being more productive? Or do you stick with the player and just hope in some way, shape, or form that he is going to get the opportunity um, to, to do something because you believe in the player. So that, that I think is one of the most difficult things in fantasy football is to cut, know when to cut ties or to remain patient on a player that um, you feel strongly about and just know that if he gets the opportunity, he's going to produce, but the coach for whatever reason is not giving the player as much time and uh I would never have cut Jonathan Taylor but I was losing my mind with his lack of usage and sometimes it, it they were using Wilkins and it was a three-headed monster with Hines Taylor and, and Wilkins and it, it was frustrating but I you know I would never have cut him but I'm sure in leagues that where he he wasn't you know, it's not a keeper league, and somebody's maybe offering you a trade. I, I could see how like people would have traded Taylor, and that would have ended up being a mistake. But boy, that that's it. That's the toughest thing, as far as I'm concerned, is trying to remain patient when you feel the coaching, uh, the coaches are not using the player. Yeah, and I would say the same thing. Like you know, we we went through this a lot watching a player like Nick Chubb. Um, not this previous year, but the year before, with the, when Freddie Kitchens was the head coach. And the usage of the player just didn't make any sense. And it just, yeah, it happens so frequently where you're like, you know, you're watching these games. You're saying, are these coaches paying attention to to who can do things more effectively? And sometimes, it, it, you know, it's not the case. It's just very, very frustrating, you know, super frustrating. I think, you know, in a, look, I did, I, 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 I said at the start of the year, I thought Kenny Galladay was going to be the number one receiver in fantasy this year. Um, you know, again, not counting on the injury, but, you know, where I did completely screw up in the, in the two leagues that I had the player in is you, know, you mentioned to me that you thought he was not coming back kind of, I don't know, you probably said it around week 10. You just thought that the injury, it wasn't, it was less about the injury and more about the contract and, and potentially him getting hurt. And I left a roster spot. These were in leagues where I couldn't put players on injury reserve. I was using a roster spot. These, he finished on rosters of mine up until the end of the season. I just left him in there all those all those weeks, and it's just you know I let other players go as a result. You know, in, in some leagues, you know, a Jefferson, I, I didn't I didn't jump at him or a Claypool. I I, I, I kept myself back because I was waiting for Galladay to come back and you know, ends up being a, a situation where it comes back to bite you. You know, other guys that I kind of bought into for this season, you know, one was a victim of, I don't know what, you know, obviously I, I was on the Boston Scott train this year coming into the season. And, um, you know, curiously, they didn't use him. I mean, obviously the offensive line fell apart, but even in games when Miles Sanders didn't play, you know, Boston Scott just did not show the same amount of explosiveness that I thought he was going to be in this offense and it, like like we saw at the end of 2019. And another player was Debo Samuel, where I think I drafted him in three or four leagues. I kept him in one league and couldn't stay on the field with the injury. And, you know, I wasn't counting on that. And, you know, I spent a lot of money, to, you know, uh, well, 
a lot of equity in, in actually, obviously, keeping the player in one league, but drafting him in three different leagues, thinking that, you know, Debo Samuel was going to be a significant difference maker in his second year as a receiver, and it just did not come to fruition. He could not stay on the field. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as we're talking, you know, what's going through my mind is it, it doesn't matter. I mean, between the two of us, we've been playing fantasy football for over 50 years, and the thing is you have to understand that there are going to be things you learn every year. It doesn't matter how long you're doing it. Um, new things come up, and you have to be able to adapt and evolve and understand that you don't know everything. Like we, we, you know, we have a lot of experience, and I think we know more than most, and I think we're more insightful than most. But you have to understand that things happen, and you're just not going to be right all the time. But looking back at it, I believe player evaluation, patience, free agency, uh, trades drafting style, what took place, good and bad, is so important to learn from and move forward uh, because uh, things evolve and uh, you, you, new things are going to happen and you have to be able to adapt to that and look back and erase the mistakes and think about things where you went wrong and why they went wrong and correct them. Yeah, great, 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 great points. I'll tell you what, two, two other things I do want to mention. Um, one is, you know, I think when you're in a situation, and this kind of goes back to my career in trading, like when you get burned on a trade, uh, you know, let's say whatever, an investment that you make could be a stock, the ability of you to go back into that stock or, or, or trade again is very hard to do psychologically. And I would say that's the same in fantasy football, where a player that you've kind of you know, whatever invested in and, and, and basically, you know, uh, died with and all this sort of thing. Uh, and, and that player lets you down the ability to go back to that player as a result of that is going to be very hard. And I, I've already said this publicly. I will not have Josh Jacobs, who I think is a super talented player, but as long I, I have already stated this, as long as John Gruden is coaching the Las Vegas Raiders, I will not have Josh Jacobs as my running back in any league unless he's just ridiculously cheap because I'm just so supremely frustrated by the player's usage and I'm just burned by it. I got burned by it and I, I drafted him in three leagues. I watched it all season long. It disgusted me. I will not go back. I'm not going back there. Like I'm just, I just think the way they used the player drove me crazy and as a result of that, I will not be partaking in that. That's one. Two, the other thing, you talk about preparation you know, and you and I spend a lot of time looking at matchups on the de defensive side of the ball, uh, thinking about situations, what's going to happen, looking at the schedules. If you don't spend time looking at num uh, what defenses are going to do, and secondly, you know, Wiz has talked about this many times, kickers that are sent out no matter what to kick these bombs from wherever it is on the field and whatever the situation. And, you know, you mentioned a guy like Justin Tucker who's kind of fallen back on that because he's a great kicker, but they're just going for it more. And I, I literally won in one of my leagues, you know, I, I look at what Koo did from Atlanta this year where the offense was inefficient and they sent them out to kick from anywhere, anytime, no matter what. It was the greatest thing in the world. This guy was rolled out regardless of the situation. And so there has to be some preparation, understanding, knowing that kickers and defenses can make a material difference in your fantasy performance. Yeah, young with who, I mean, you know, talk about the perfect storm. He's kicking indoors. 
he did, sending him out from 52, 56, 58. He's making them all. The Falcons are playing in these wild games. I mean, it just goes to show you um, that, you know, you go into a season and, okay, the top three kickers on everyone's list, Butker, Lutz, Justin Tucker, Every single list, those are the top three guys, and and um, you know, and and uh, and Legatron as well going to the Cowboys, and then go to your league, go to your league scoring, look at the year result, and you'll see that maybe Tucker, I think, finished in the top ten in terms of your kicker scoring. So what does that tell you? It tells you, you know, don't take a kicker early. Um, don't take one of those guys. There's a lot of value late. I get a laugh because in the in the league that we're against each other, it makes me laugh. Every kicker I nominate, the league feels I know something about this kicker, and I nominated five kickers in a row, and I got none of them because people contested the bid against me. They spent three, four dollars on kickers that didn't end up finishing in the top ten or so, uh, and I ended up with two of the top kickers in um, in football, um, Young Way Koo being one of them. Um, and it just goes to show you, you have to put a little bit of time and effort into thinking in it um, than just, you know, looking at, oh, yeah, okay, this guy, this guy, yeah, I'm going to spend money on those guys. And I believe there's a direct correlation between Lamar Jackson and being there and, and Justin Tucker because he just talks Harbaugh into going for those fourth and twos no matter where they are on the field. So uh, it's, it's just something you have to take into consideration. So, so when, I was before, when I was preparing for this, I took a look in a couple of my leagues who the top performing per week scorers were at kicker. Because in, in one instance, I actually had him in one league and I remember how effective he was. So the top four guys in, in most leagues that I was in, at least in the scoring system, per week kickers were guys – in probably most leagues, if especially if you're drafting only one kicker on a roster, that were probably not drafted in any league. So they were they were Young Hoku, they were Jason Sanders, it was Ky, uh, uh, Bass from Tyler Bass from um, from Buffalo Bills, who who we did talk about in the preseason, by the way, because he was making kicks standing, he was standing still and kicking field goals from 55 yards out. And the other guy, and 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 the guy that I'm definitely going to pay attention to, he plays in a dome. He was picked up late in the season, um, and he ended up being in, in in the top three in per week scoring. And now that offense gets now again, maybe they're more effective with with Matt Stafford uh, as their quarterback. But but Matt Gay, a late season addition um, for the uh, Los Angeles Rams, was kicking the snot out of the ball for the Los Angeles Rams for the last seven weeks of the season. Uh, ended up averaging you know twelve or thirteen points a game uh, as a kicker. So those were the top four per week scorers as kickers this year. Jason Sanders, we know from Miami, he wasn't on anybody's radar, but another guy that was sent out regardless. So if, 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 I don't. I, do you know any list that those four kickers were? Well, again, I'm not going to count Gay, but 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 in the instance of Koo, Sanders and Bass, no way were they in the top twelve in anybody's kicker uh, predictions coming into the season. Definitely not. Yeah, I know. I agree. And, uh, you know, part of that is like looking and saying, you know, who's sending their guys out there? Not every coach is 
is comfortable with setting their kicker out there for a 50 plus yard field goal because if you don't get it, the other team's going to take over um, near 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 midfield. Uh, or do they have the quarterback like Lamar Jackson that is going to talk the head coach into into going for it uh, almost every single you know time and before he got there and before he was the quarter uh, the quarterback my goodness um you know justin tucker was just kicking a million of those um kicks but i mean i don't know i i yeah i just i just think it's just something that you have to look at look at the research and um and, and and put some time into effort and these leagues that want to make defenses and kickers irrelevant and all, all the same in terms of scoring, I think uh, are doing uh, a disservice to fantasy football because if you're starting a defense and a kicker, why shouldn't a kicker be as valuable as your fourth receiver or your defense be as valuable as your third running back? I mean, they're out there and there's a disparity between them and, and your league scoring should make a difference between an elite defense or kicker and the terrible defensive kicker. So trying to make them all the same, uh, I think makes fantasy football, uh, you know, less interesting. Yeah, no question. I think it's, I think that again, it's a frustrating position, but I think if you're doing the homework and, uh, you know, and being more diligent about it and, and getting on top of it, uh, that could make a big difference in your season and how it, how it plays out. And if, you know, there's a lot of people that are lazy about it and don't do it, and that's going to give you a leg up, uh, pardon the pun, but that gives you a leg up. No question about it. Yeah, I agree completely. So, uh, yeah, anything else you wanted to add in terms of, uh, you know, looking back at the last season, any aspect of the draft or in-season things or anything? No, the only thing I will say, I'm going to joke around this right now to my boy Connor. Uh, Connor, we will not have Julio Jones on our team next year over my dead body, okay? Well, yeah, it's funny because uh, your your buddy, you know, Johnny Burke was contacting me and boy, I just wish he was listening before the season started instead of like when the season started because we would have made sure that he, well, you know, look, I'm not saying not to draft Julio Jones, you know, if you could get him at an incredible value, but he spent a lot of money on that player, so... Uh, I'm sure he'll be listening to the podcast uh, before the season started. So, uh, uh, JB, if you're listening, uh, you know, steer clear of Julio, especially at that price. All right, awesome, Wiz. Well, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Make sure you're subscribing. We're going to be doing this every week. Uh, next week is going to get interesting and uh, as we start getting into free agency. So looking forward to it all. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. And, uh, yeah. More football to come next week. Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Have a great weekend, Wiz. You got it. You too.